and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. My name is Brooke McCallery. And my name is Ben McCallery. Welcome to episode two of season nine. We are very glad to have you back. Do you know that if you smile when you talk, your voice actually smiles? I would believe that. Like, do you, yeah. There's a big difference between talking without smiling and talking with a smile. You can you can hear the smile. Hmm. I would, yeah, I would Pretty absolutely cool, believe hey? that. That's yeah. why I try and make you laugh every time we do this. Oops, uh, succeeded. <laughs> welcome, as I said, to episode two. And in this episode, you talk to a new guest. Is every single guest in this season a new one? Uh, yes, I believe so. Uh, very cool. Very cool. You talk to... Uh, a woman by the name of Claire Riley. I do. And I'm very excited about sharing this episode. So I have known of Claire and her work for a number of years, like pre-MS diagnosis. She's been active in the slow living simplicity space since before then. That's fascinating. It is. Yeah, it really is. So she and I actually talk about how her illness um, and subsequent diagnosis came at a time when she was living in a really um, simple environment. So I don't want to kind of cannibalize the conversation, but she and her family were living in like an off grid retreat sort of situation mm. when she was dealing with the beginning of her diagnosis. Um, and I thought that was really interesting, oh, yeah. you know, that, that kind of the tension between wanting simplicity because that's kind of the goal that you have, but also needing it, but also realizing that simplicity and sustainability in all of its different iterations of different things and, you know, the tension there. So all of that to say, I've known Claire and her work for quite a few years um, and reconnected by Instagram about six months ago. Okay. So anyone who's listening to this who hasn't either lives with a chronic illness or knows someone who does or is interested in the way in which um, slow and simple living could potentially, you know, offer you some benefits or insights into it um, I'd really recommend that you look Claire up on Instagram so she is Claire.Riley R-E-I-L-L-Y on Instagram but she also hosts a podcast okay. called MS Understood so I will link to that uh, and Claire's website and her Instagram on the show notes which are at slowyourhome.com slash season 9 and in the meantime I hope you really enjoy this conversation with the delightful Claire, right. Claire, hello. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. It is a genuine delight to reconnect with you after a few years uh, and to it's see your smiling face. It has, and I yeah. feel like a lot's a lot of water has passed under the bridges since then. Mm. Yeah, um, for both of us. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so I think let's just dive in. I was having a, a nose around on your website. Um, preparing for our conversation and um, something there was something that struck me about the way that you describe what you do and why you do it and um, you said that you you champion simple and local living which I love I love that you added the local in because often we talk mm. about simple living and I think that everyone who listens to the podcast knows that I struggle with that because it's you know such a broad term that has come to mean um, a lot <laughs> and is well, you know, not much I exactly think, yes yeah. it means too much and not enough mm. um 
So I love that you included local, but I'm curious whether or not that's something that you've always sort of held as a purpose in life, or was that something that you came to um, by a catalyst or a, a moment of, um, you know, realization? Yeah, I think it's, um, I mean, maybe not necessarily through childhood, but we, we were always, um, you know, my mum was making jam as a kid and, and all of those kinds of things. We had apple trees in our backyard and, and didn't think that was a thing. Like we just had apple trees. Um, but I think more and more, like you said, as we get older and think about our, for me, really thinking about it, my impact on the world and having been through, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but some health issues and um, changing diets and um, really kind of focusing on my health through that way. I've had to consider what my um, focus, what my passion is and what I um, really think is the the way of me making a difference. And that can be through diet. Um, and I think a lot of the times it is through diet. And like you said, all of the kind of simple living stuff. But if we're not, if we're not considering how far our food is coming from, it doesn't matter what we're eating because the the impact that that food has on the planet getting to us mm. kind of outweighs all of the or a lot of the good other things that we do. So, um, you know, my husband and I talk a lot about diets and and you know vegan diet particularly, um, kind of in the extreme opposite not extreme but the opposite of how we mostly eat now and we try really hard to focus on as much as we can and and finance is a big big issue for us um or not issue but a big consideration for us so if we don't know where our food's coming from and we can't see how far it's come then it doesn't matter really as to what else we're doing Mm. yeah I think there's so much there's so much for us to explore in terms of I mean, and I guess I'm curious as to whether or not you saw any shift in this, in the the idea of eating local and sourcing local and living locally um, as a result of the pandemic. Did you see a shift in that in yourself or in your community? You know, because I know particularly in the beginning, the idea of food security and scarcity um, kind of really freaked people out. And, mm. uh, you know, I, I think it's, going to be really interesting the next few years to see if there's a flow on effect from that. So have you experienced that yourself or, you know, in the conversations you're having? Yeah, I think personally it happened well before the pandemic. It was Mm -hmm. something that we were really, and probably more so before the pandemic, to be honest, we were um, really like focusing on farmers markets and, and that sort of thing. And as the pandemic happened, we lost all of our income, everything. And we couldn't afford to buy local food because in a way, and often we find, you know, buying a really good local cheese is far more expensive than buying cheddar from the supermarket. Yep. Um, and so for us, there was a real shift almost in the reverse of we've just got to buy what we can afford. Yeah. And um, I think a lot of, you know, around kind of taking a, a shift, but a lot of around the simple living is things can get quite expensive, you know, and, and a lot of people who are really focused, I think, on on that simple living live on a relatively low income. You know, we're really passionate about living the life that we choose and therefore that often means that we're working part-time or less hours or in maybe lower paying jobs. 
and we then need to be able to afford our values, mm. financially afford our values. And so, yeah, during the pandemic for us, it was a, a shift um, and in a, a really different way. There's a great place locally um, called Femi Ballerine in Ocean Grove. So it's about 30 minutes from here. And they, during, they had opened maybe 12 months maybe a bit longer before the pandemic started. And they actually are a food rescue place. Yeah. So they take food that supermarkets are throwing out or, and at the start of COVID restaurants were throwing out and we started going there and that has shifted our values because we now see purchasing our food from there and we pay what we can afford each Mm. week or each fortnight when we go. But it means that that food isn't going to landfill. Right. So even though it's not necessarily local, like locally sourced, it is yep. sustainable in that mm. A, it's affordable, B, it's in keeping with, you know, your own values and C, it's um, reducing waste. So mm. this is where yep. it gets so muddy, right? Um, when you talk simple living, because we talk about values and we have a very distinct idea of what that looks like in yep. a practical sense. And then life gets, you know, complicated or, you know, our budget has to tighten or, you know, whatever it might be, there's food shortages. And suddenly that practical application of those values, it just, it it's pulled out from underneath us. So I think it's always yeah. really interesting to see how, you know, how we adapt to that and find a different way forward because, you know, simple living is if you get 20 people together and talk about their own definition of simple living, you're going to get 20 completely different versions of it. 19 of which will not feel applicable to you, you know? So I think that um, learning how to be fluid in, in applying our values is super important. And I think in that is so often there's that pressure of, of making it look Instagram perfect, Yes, you know, that pressure of the simple life of, you know, to, to, to live a simple life. And like you said, that term is so um, full of, of everything and nothing at the same time. Like we need to kind of come up with a new one now, but you know, my husband and I, Jay and I just recently decided we actually don't like gardening. We, no, we didn't decide. We realized for me, <laughs> for me, I, um, you know, it's not something that I'm able to do a lot yeah. of um, and he doesn't enjoy it. And so if I can't do it and he won't do it, then it's just not worth us putting our energy and my little amount of energy that I have into something that we don't enjoy doing, whereas we can instead make our food from scratch or buy food from um, someone who was going to throw it out or um, buy local cheese or we can afford it. You know, those are things and the way that we can live a simple life mm. um, versus someone else who loves gardening and is happy to grow everything their own. Yeah. So I think it's, it's for me, you know, it's been something that I have to kind of grapple with is that I'm just not a gardener. That flies in the face of what most people would think simple living looks like. So, you know, even just, so you're someone who has lived this way in some capacity since you were a child, you know, it's been part mm. of, part of, your you know life experience and even still you're you know you find yourself grappling with it and struggling with it um so I think it's really refreshing well even like you said grappling with the concept of if I'm going to live this way I should garden right I should grow my own food I should do those things and and even as someone who shares publicly on Instagram 
that it doesn't have to look a certain way. I'm still expecting it to look a certain way. Yeah. What I've just discovered is I like growing things that grow themselves. <laughs> yeah, so, totally. so things think, you know, we've got raspberries and each year they come up and they grow raspberries and we pick the raspberries and I don't have to do anything. You know, we've got fruit trees, they grow themselves. Like yep. that, that I can handle. Yeah. So, and it's also just, um, I guess, you know, figuring that out and being okay with like being a perennial fruit grower rather than mm. being, you know, the veggie grower. So I, I, I want to actually dig back into something that you've referenced already, um, you know, with your health issues. And because I think that your, um, you know, your, your version of slow and simple and local living is inextricably linked with mm. the health issues that you've um, experienced and continue to experience. So do you mind sharing with us what those health issues have been? Yeah, sorry. I um, had this really like black human moment in my head where I was just going to be like, no, <laughs> and not. <laughs> sorry. Yes, I will share. <laughs> I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in April 2017 after about six months of um, quite severe lower back pain, you know, and it, and even now, like yesterday, I had that same pain. Mm. I was like this, you know, it's been five years or four and a half years. I um, thought that that kind of issue was gone, but yesterday I spent the day um, not being able to hold myself upright. I just kept bending at my waist and I would... Um, I'd be standing up and then my, my upper half would just be lowering itself down because my core was just tired and it couldn't hold me up. Um, so, yeah, in, in about four and a half years ago, I was diagnosed with MS. And, yeah, every day I live in pain of some sort, um, discomfort. And, yeah, I suppose, like you said, it, it is in it's now inextricably linked with my you know having to consider how I manage that with my values mm. um so 2017 what was life like for you around that period that you were diagnosed so prior to that um we my husband was working in Melbourne um that's about an hour and a half from here I was a stay-at-home mom I had a two-ish year old I was 31 you know, just living the young mum stay-at-home life. Um, and just after my diagnosis, we decided to do this really great, crazy thing and go and move completely off the grid about five hours from our um, community and run an outdoor education centre for two and a half years. And when you say off the grid, like it was off like the really grid. Really off the grid. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I was saying... Um, to, to access the camp, you it's two, two, and a, two kilometres through private property. We could drive our vehicles, but with students, we would have to walk. So it was an outdoor education centre. Two kilometres, we get to a flying fox, which is a platform. You'd sit on it. There's four people could sit on it. That would go over a river. Then we'd arrive at the camp. Then we'd walk a further 500 metres, go over a second flying fox, walk 800 metres, and then we'd be at our house. So they're like real, and probably like that front gate was about 45 minutes from the town. Right. So remote. We're talking really so remote. Like really, yeah, no mobile service, no electricity, um, wood fired everything. Um, yeah. Once a week showers, <laughs> you know, like really off the grid. 
with, so, a, with a two-year-old. That's what I was just going to say, with a two-year-old. <laughs> yeah. Um, who probably yeah. loved every second of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, I, I'd like to say I loved every second of it, but that would be a lie. I hated parts of it. It was really hard. We had um, staff team. So we started mid-year. So we arrived with a staff team of seven who were living. So we lived and worked with our staff team. And then each year we would have a staff team of six, five or six for each calendar year. So we went through three staff teams and that was tricky, living and working mm. with a group of people who were, you know, late teens, mid-20s, and we were not, you know, young family. Yeah, different values, different lifetimes, different everything, and then having to be someone's boss with a new diagnosis and a kid yeah. is a lot. Yeah. That is a lot because I mean it's so like, it's it's really interesting to me that my immediate default response. I mean, admittedly, I am an introvert, and I think I could happily be um, like a hermit. <laughs> yeah, same. So same. Like, I'm like, this sounds amazing, away from everything and everyone, uh, and it slots in perfectly with what you know I picture slow <laughs> and simple living to be. But I know that the reality of that was certainly mm. not simple. How did you? go with that like mentally and emotionally with this new diagnosis and then this grand adventure was that in response to your diagnosis or was it um already in play before yeah great question I actually worked there as a 18 year old um as one of the staff members when I finished school for the first time so I went there as a student when I was 16 mm-hmm. worked there as a staff member it, it was like always going to happen Um, And we applied for the position while I was waiting for my diagnosis. So um, I think I got the, like, you could have, well, I got the, you could have MS or a benign brain tumor. Then (laughs) Ben waited six weeks. During that six weeks, we applied for the job. And then, um, no, sorry, I'd applied first, got the, you could have this, got the job, got the diagnosis. Right. That is quite yeah. the sequence of events. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Just digging a little deeper into that. That's six weeks between going, these are the two options, right? You may have MS, you may have a brain tumor. Um, that's a huge amount of uncertainty to live with, with on top of what I'm imagining was a really stressful time preceding that with an undiagnosed chronic illness, you know, relentless pain um, and uncertainty. How um, did you develop any strategies for coping with that sort of uncertainty or, you know, did your version of simple living help you in that period at all? Um, No, Mm -hmm. no, I, um, it was, so I've done, I've done some hard things in my life. That was the hardest six weeks of my life. Yeah. Um, And I, I just mostly cried. Mm. I, I just, there was no, coping mechanisms no nothing that I could do to make it any easier um yeah it was just really hard and I think something I wanted to you mentioned you know living with an undiagnosed chronic illness at the time it wasn't even something that I before like seeing a doctor and going to the neurologist for the first time I hadn't considered it to be a chronic illness right um it it just wasn't even I thought I had back pain um, but I think there are so many people living in undiagnosed chronic illness territory that just don't get the credit. You know, once you've got a diagnosis, 
life might be hard, but at least you can say, I have this. Yep. Whereas I know of people who have been living for years in pain, you know, who have had tests, who have had, you know, been looking to get results or answers and they still don't have anything. Mm -hmm. And I think that is that like, that's a lifetime of that six weeks that I went through. What is this? And, and I think those people don't get nearly enough credit for the stress that they that is added to their life of not knowing what's going on. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, mm. The last couple of years for me have been a less less intense version, but still, you know, a prolonged period of uncertainty with health and mm. many, many doctor's appointments and, you know, most of which end in frustration and further muddying of the waters rather than any kind of clarity. And same thing, it has just highlighted to me how much credit people who live with undiagnosed chronic illnesses who are being told over and over and over again that actually there's nothing wrong your test results were fine you know you're just tired or maybe you're a new mom or maybe you're just a bit burnt out or you know and um it's exhausting uh, mm. it's um and harrowing and you know it is all consuming so mm. starting to get answers even if they're not great answers is actually a way forward mm. yeah well you can do something if you've got an answer exactly exactly yeah but you can't do something like you said if you're waiting for another doctor's appointment or if you're waiting for a blood test or if you're if if you just in between all of those things and you don't have anywhere else to look or go that's right yeah, yeah. so with your ms diagnosis and then working off grid what was the property called that you you guys it was called Wollongara. okay yeah is it still so- running it, it well, I'm not sure how it's gone in the last couple of years. So yeah. we, thankfully for me, left. We finished up our contract, so it was a two, two, three year, two year contract with an optional third year, um, and we finished up. We did two and a half years, so finished up in October 2019. Okay. So like very close. <laughs> Um, but it, for us, it was time to get our son to school. So he was when we left. He was five, five. Yeah, he was five. Um, he was, you know, needed to go to kinder and and there was a whole other drama. We actually added, um, we did um, distance ed with him while we were at the camp um, because we couldn't get him to kinder because that was too difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we needed to get him back here to kind of start some kind of normal normal life for him. So, yes, we finished right before COVID kind of hit and I, I don't know, I, I needed to really step away because I was then rediscovering my diagnosis right. after I left the camp. Yeah. yeah. Did that look different for you? You know, once you kind of settled back into your community, how did that change the way that you were kind of your, your day-to-day rhythm, I guess, through that lens of your your MS? Yeah. So MS while we're at Wollongara was fairly well ignored. Um, I took medication every day and that was about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was complete and utter denial. That was me being like, no, I'm fine. I can do this, whatever. I've got this. And then we moved home and um, my husband, Jay, started to feel less tired and I didn't. And that's when I was like, this sucks. Yeah. You know, like this is not going anywhere. It's really here. And that's when I really hit grief of, you know, we talk about the stages of grief, even though we know that there's not five as much as that's great. Um, 
I really hit that kind of grief of, yeah, it's not going anywhere. I need to deal with this. So mm. um, that's when I started my regular kind of um, maintenance and and rehabilitation or prehabilitation of like looking after myself, um, which became my new job. I can I can imagine that your days would have been really full um, at Wollongarra, like in terms of just in terms of being productive and getting stuff done and looking at managing stuff. And which I think is a really interesting sort of side point, like with the whole slow and simple living, mm. it's very much focused on being productive, even though the title says slow, you know, it's not particularly slow necessarily. So when you left and you, you kind of faced with this new era, did that require you to readjust your um, your ideas on kind of rest and slowing down and, and prioritising your own kind of health in that way? Yeah, I think in a way of, you know, like you said, slow and simple is not, or the slow life, the simple life is not necessarily a physically slow yes. life. And during the time of being at Wollongarra, I used the fast pace to distract me from my illness. And when we moved home, I had no distractions anymore. And I did notice that my symptoms declined quite quickly. And that could be for, you know, for many reasons, like the focus on it or not walking 14,000 steps a day, or, you know, all of those things that I just, you know, when you're in a house in town, you actually don't have to walk as far as like, I would be walking 200 meters to the toilet. Mm. Whereas now it's like six steps, you know, like it's just not very far. Um, and our house is quite small. So, yeah, I did, I, I think for some time the focus on slow and simple as much as I still did the things that I was passionate about, the focus just wasn't there because I was so deep in anger and mm. grief um, that that was all I could focus on. Did you find, um, I keep coming back to strategies, but only because I'm kind of fascinated by how this all plays out in people's like lives, you know, practically speaking. Um, Did you have any strategies that were sort of related to the ideas of um, simplifying or, you know, local living that you began to develop as you were kind of making your way through that anger and grief? Mm, I think I do now, mm. um, but probably not so. And like we've been home now for two years and granted we've been in COVID, which like you is kind of my ideal, like I don't have to talk to people, I don't have to leave the house, you know, like I'm no quite happy. coming over. <laughs> yeah, I'm quite happy at home on my own. I mean, apart from the fact that we were also all at home, which kind of killed me because I had to talk to people all the time. So it's been a weird two years to readjust to life anyway post so like even if I didn't have a chronic illness and we'd been at Wollongarra for two years then coming home and having missed two years as the readjustment period would be weird regardless Mm. but I think using you know that I have strategies now so I'm really grateful and really thankful that I've got um, financial support from the government so I get NDIS um, which is the through the National Disability Insurance Scheme for people with disabilities I get funding through them. So I actually have a support worker who comes once a week um, and I get her to, you know, change the sheets and, and do those things because like for most people changing the sheets on a bed isn't exhausting for me. Like I need to lie down after it. Yeah. I have a cleaner who comes once a week. Again, I can't clean the shower. Like I just, I'd be out for a day. So there's some strategies that I 
use, implement. I also have like some really kind of little simple things and they're mostly physical strategies because my disability is much more a physical one than a cognitive one. So a lot of people with MS particularly have cognitive issues. So forgetfulness, um, forgetting words, um, huge, like 80% of people with MS um, say fatigue is their number one symptom. And Mm -hmm. I'm very grateful that that's not one that I tend to experience a lot of. So for me, it's getting around the physical things, which has been, I suppose, a mentally difficult thing, given that I used to run outdoor education Mm centre and now I can't go for a 10 minute walk. So that's really hard. But I have a stool, a wheelie stool in my kitchen. So if I'm having a rough moment, and for me, it's really weird because it is moment to moment. Like I can lie down for 10 minutes and then feel great. But I have a wheelie stool in my kitchen. So I sit down a lot in my kitchen and and zoom around um, in that way. Yeah, see a physiotherapist once a week and and exercise physiologist once a week to do maintenance exercises to make sure I don't lose any more ability. What is your relationship with rest like now? It um it goes in waves, okay. which I think is a lot of I remember you um speaking about tilting. You know, sometimes I'm really good at rest and you know the like we were speaking earlier so I've been really good at um watching a lot of television recently <laughs> well I'm in the middle of watching alone and I'm probably going to go yes. and watch some after, after we get off the call you know um, that's my jam yeah um but I also you know will go for a month where I spend six hours a day sitting in front of the computer yep. um I'm you know do lots of computer stuff so I I think I'm much more at ease with resting when I need to rest, but also if I don't need to rest, I'm not going to. So I think there's got to be that give and take of like right now is the time of taking it easy and taking it slow and not, you know, some days I just, you know, and it might be MS or it could just be I'm just tired and kind of over it, but some days I can't write an email and other days, or I don't want to, like mm-hmm. there's that kind of hard, I don't know if I'm just being lazy, if it's MS, if I just don't have the motivation, like who knows? All valid. Yeah. yeah all valid. So that, I mean, that to me sounds like it takes a huge amount of um, self-awareness and reflection. Is that something that you've had to learn? Mm. Yeah. I um, see a really good therapist. Um, she's great. She's an art and somatic therapist. So I, um, don't do psychology psychologist, which is kind of funny because that's what I'm studying, but I don't do, I can talk in circles. Like I can make everything logic. I can make everything make sense. But for me, it's the gut feeling that gets me. Mm -hmm. Um, so a somatic therapist for me is incredible. She's more about the physical feelings in your body not the feeling, emotional feeling, but the physical feeling that you feel in your body when you have X, Y, Z emotion. Right. Um, and that's what I need to shift. So I've seen her a lot for the last couple of years. And I've also done quite a lot of um, personal development. I've done a lot of courses, a lot of reading, and got to a point where I know what will help if I'm in a, you know, rough black spiral day of I hate my life and this sucks and I it's not fair and why me which I probably don't talk enough about publicly because I think it's really hard to share that and it it is I mean kind of going there um is vulnerable right it's and that's scary 
Um, mm. But I think that even just admitting that they exist is so important for people to hear because someone I can guarantee you is listening to this conversation is like, well, thank God. <laughs> mm. Me too. You know? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think that, thank you for sharing all of that because um, I think it's really important to a, acknowledge that those days exist, but B also talk about the different ways in which, you know, individual people um, face up to them and, you know, the different tools that are at our disposal, because I think, um, I think that's fascinating, actually, the somatic therapy. Mm. Uh, and as you were speaking, like that sense of a physical sensation is so powerful and it's so tightly linked to intuition and, um, you know, gut feeling um, in a physical sense sometimes. Mm. But yeah, I think that that's a really, really powerful shift for maybe people listening to to be able to make to go, okay, psychologists, maybe not what I need right now, but I do need something, someone who's going to help me, mm. um, you know, dig into this. So yeah yeah thank you for sharing that no I wanted to say too there's um you know in the way that simple living's kind of lost the term simple living's lost its spark maybe Mm. I think mindfulness is kind of almost on the same thing and I know that with a lot of chronic illnesses but MS particularly is stress is one of the most um, or the things that have the biggest impact on on symptoms and getting new symptoms having new attacks um, and the symptoms you're living with anyway. And I think it's really important to find a mindfulness activity that works for you. Mm. So, you know, I know people talk about meditation all the time and how great meditation is, but it doesn't really, I, it's not my jam. I can't, I just, it's not that I can't fit it today. I choose not to, I, you know, I, I don't make that choice maybe consciously, but I know that I could choose to meditate. There's other things that work better yep. for me. Yep. Um, and I think that's a really important thing for people to know that if, you know, meditation won't work for everyone. So if they can find something else that gives them a moment of stillness and gives them a moment of feeling calm in amongst the, the life that is crazy at the moment, you know, that's what you need to find. And it could be crocheting. You know, right. someone said to me the other day, you, you, when you crochet, you can't play with your phone. You can't, I can't think about anything else. Like I really have to focus on what I'm doing. Or it could be doing a puzzle. Like there's just so many different activities that you can only do that thing. And mm. that is a mindfulness activity. Yeah, exactly. And I think any time a movement, as well-intentioned as it is, as good as its bones are, that it becomes, you know, this mainstream commercialized idea, slow living, simple living, mindfulness, mm. It, um, it becomes really difficult to actually find the core of that idea in amongst all the products and services and, mm. um, you know, things that you products can. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what does that look like for you? Do you have a particular kind of practice that helps bring you back to, you know, the moment? Yeah, so I um, jump in our bay. We live um, in Port Phillip Bay, so I jump in the bay every morning and I've been doing that since July. MS is funny because people are generally either heat tolerant or cold tolerant, and I thought I was heat tolerant and we went to Queensland earlier this year and I was, like, out. I couldn't walk. It was so much worse than I am here. And so from that day I was like, cool, I'm going to go and get cold every day. So I, um, it's not as cold now when the days are like 22 degrees, 
but um yeah July I would have the, been brisk July was cold yeah like you'd get out and your body was tingling and bright red like I love that it feeling cold. it was so good so I jump in the bay every morning and that's just for me today I just went there and because the bay is so nice and flat like I don't really like waves so it's just really nice and flat I just lay and floated on my back looking up at the clouds for five minutes um, and that was how I started today in terms of like throughout the day is I actually don't and I but in a weird way I use and I love I love Instagram I think it's beautiful I, I follow I like I'm quite intentional about who I follow and I will often just spend 20 minutes like scrolling just to clear my mind of whatever I'm doing um, and I know that goes against every grain in everyone's bodies but it really helps me just to take a moment and you're also I mean like you said, you're intentional about who you follow. So I can imagine that the information that you're seeing is either, you know, it's beautiful or it's inspiring or it's helpful or it's, you know, something positive. Mm. So that's an intentional choice to surround yourself with that kind of input. You know, I have, I've said it probably a million times, but I see social media as a tool, you know, and you can use it to connect. You can use it to build your business. You can use it to maintain friendships or learn stuff or surround yourself with, you know, inspiration and beauty um Mm. and the key is that you use a tool you do the thing and then you put the tool down so I think that I think that there'd probably be a lot of people listening who's like hmm I can get behind that you know because we just gonna say that you know I think there's a lot of shame around using Instagram in that way because you know we're all supposed to have less screen free time and And, and we're all supposed to do this. And I, it's the same as everything else we've been talking about, mindfulness, um, slow living, is we're supposed to do X, Y, and Z. Who cares what we're supposed to do? Yep. If it works for you and if it feels good to you and if you're living with your values and, you know, obviously not spending all day scrolling on Instagram mindlessly. Yes. Um, but it doesn't matter what you what you do in any of those mindfulness, slow living, simple living, whatever, as long as it connects with you and connects with your values and is the way you want to do it. Exactly. Yeah. I think that removing the idea of should from the conversations around anything, but specifically around living a values led life is probably one of the most liberating things we could talk about, you know, and could encourage people to do, because if you just imagine a world, imagine your life without that pressure of should, like what I should be doing, what it should look like. Um, and then ask yourself, like, well, what would it look like if I removed mm. all of those expectations and obligations and pressure? Um, I think that's a really powerful place to begin reassessing, you know, what mm. what deserves your time and energy and just as importantly, what doesn't. I think too in that though is so often people's values are what they think or until you take the time to really assess what your values are, they can be those should values. I should value this. I should value that. And I know, you know, maybe, and and it's funny because when you really sit down, you know what your values are. But I did a quiz last year and I'm not sure if you would like me to mention it or if you want the link to it, but it's the Martini values quiz. And I did it a couple of times. The first time, the questions are quite vague. So I answered like, you know, it's very superficial. And then I looked at it and re-went back and redid it. Um, And I was like, oh, no, I know what my values are. 
I just needed something to confirm that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's maybe a good place for people to start. If they're not sure, you know, I'm sure if they're listening to this, they probably have some kind of idea, but if they're not sure, it's like, it's a really great way of like giving you those kind of four ideas that you want to live by. Yeah, no, I think that's a brilliant place to begin. And, um, you know, I know that for me, it, it helps to reconnect with that idea of my values once a year, you know, just kind of checking mm. back in because the shoulds take over. And, you know, when you think about your values, you're like, well, these are the things, these are the like the bedrock of my life. And then you look at that through the lens of how you spend your days. And so often there's a massive disconnect, even when we're aware of what our values are. So I think that, you know, considering this is sort of first couple of months of the year as well, that's a brilliant place for people to either reconnect with their values or um, start that process. Because again, I think it's one of those terms that gets thrown around a lot, yet we're not necessarily quite sure what it means, <laughs> you know, yeah. so kind of yeah. figuring out that that's what we're talking about. We're talking about those, those key three or four things that you will build everything upon. Um, but also realize that we can often build way off base and not even realize. Um, so I will include a link to, to that quiz in the show notes for today's episode, uh, because I think anything that gets us thinking about um, our values and kind of reassessing them is powerful. Do you think yours have changed over the last few years? I think, I don't think they've changed. I think the, like you said, I think the living things versus what I value is is definitely um, different. And that may be because I, you know, have to be a parent or, you know, we can't have community events as much or, mm-hmm. um, you know, my physical being just doesn't want to some days. Um, so I think that, like you said, the idea of what I value versus the practical day-to-day are, are different. Um, but I'm able to keep an eye on how I want to live my life versus maybe how I actually do. Mm. Yeah, and I think that that's incredibly valuable, you know, just to mm. have that that moment of reflection or, you know, recognition that we don't as an individual live and exist in a vacuum. So, you know, Mm. you've got your husband, you've got your son and you're all going to be different, similar, but different, you know, same with my family. You cannot exist in a way that is in service only to your values all the time. So it's sort of recognizing that and allowing to come full circle that fluidity and flexibility in the ways that those values can show up, Um, Mm. you know, and in the times that we compromise, because ultimately I think that's what life is and relationships are um, in a positive way. It is about learning mm. how to live with and compromise and still land in a place that feels solid. And I think, like you said, you can't live like everything's, you've got to have a level of malleability yes. in your life. You know, you can't, you, you've, you might have four values, but you can't live necessarily, you know, if you're in a position maybe like we are, is you can't live exactly by those li- those values every day. You've got to go to work. You've got to earn money. You know, maybe you you don't value money, but sure, I'm sorry, we all need it. Like, you know, we just can't necessarily live by those values every minute of every day. Yeah. And I again, I think that's another really 
hopefully liberating thing for people to take away from our conversation today is uh, yeah malleability is a really good word actually I couldn't have come mm. up with a better one so <laughs> thank you so much for your time and sharing today um I'd invite people listening to go and check out your website, clareriley.com, um, and also your podcast, MS Understood, which yep. you can find on all major platforms um, where you are having conversations with people who either live with MS or professionals um, mm-hmm. who can who work with people with MS. Is that right? Yep. And you're doing a brilliant job. So I'd really encourage people to go and check that out too. I'll include links to the show notes, yeah, to all of that in the show notes. Yeah, so thank you again for your time. No, thank you so much for having me. It was quite literally my pleasure.